Welcome to Friendship with God with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. Today's message and previous messages can be listened to or downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also obtain free resources from Tom Cantor and view our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org or call us at 800-247-3051, 800-247-3051. Tom Cantor also has a daily devotional verse that comes out each day by email and on Facebook. To receive this small daily devotional verse that Tom Cantor puts out, you can sign up at friendshipwithgod.org friendshipwithgod.org or find Tom Cantor on Facebook by searching for Tom Cantor and Friendship with God. Now here is our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor. All right, let's pray. Father, thank you so much for your word this morning. What a majestic word this is. And what a great word. And we pray, Lord, that the majesty of your word, the greatness of your word would penetrate our souls this morning as we study it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis chapter 37, verse 23. Genesis 37, verse 23. And it came to pass when Joseph was come unto his brethren that they stripped Joseph out of his coat, his coat of many colors that was on him, and they took him and cast him into a pit, and the pit was empty, there was no water in it. And they sat down to eat bread, and they lifted up the air, their eyes and looked, and behold, a company of Ishmaelites came from Gilead with their camels bearing spicery and balm and myrrh, going to carry it down to Egypt. Judah said unto his brethren, What profit is it if we slay our brothers and conceal his blood? Come, let us sell him to the Ishmaelites, and let not our hand be upon him, for he is our brother in our flesh, and his brethren were content. And there passed by Midianites merchantmen, and they drew and lifted up Joseph out of the pit and sold Joseph to the Ishmaelites for 20 pieces of silver. And they brought Joseph into Egypt. And Reuben returned unto the pit, and behold, Joseph was not in the pit, and he rent his clothes, and he returned unto his brethren and said, The child is not, and I, whither shall I go? Now, we've been studying in this chapter, this chapter 37. This is a very dark chapter chapter 37, and this is one of the darkest chapters in the history of the Jewish people of Israel. Jewish people have several dark chapters. I don't know. This is not a good one. Anyway, it's kind of disturbing, to say the least, for us to see all this treachery, all this barbaric behavior on the part of the brother, how the brothers treated Joseph. And we got to struggle a little bit to see something good in this chapter, and it's not easy. But one ray of light does shine through in this chapter, and it's this. This chapter makes it very clear that God did not choose the Jewish people of Israel because of any merit in them. This chapter makes very clear that what the reasons were why God chose the Jewish people, which God said in Deuteronomy chapter 7, verse 6, Deuteronomy 7, 6, when God said, For thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God. The Lord thy God hath chosen thee to be a special people unto himself, above all people that are upon the face of the earth. The Lord did not set his love upon you, nor choose you, because you were more in number than in people, for you were the fewest of all people. But because the Lord loved you, and because he would keep the oath which he had sworn unto your fathers, that the Lord brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you out of the house of bondmen from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. Know therefore... 
that the Lord thy God, he is God, the faithful God, and keep a covenant of mercy with them that love him and keep his commandments to a thousand generations. So this is the book, the book of Deuteronomy. This is the looking back book. This is the book of all the questions that they had and they needed answers to. And one of the great questions that they had and they needed an answer to was why? Why did God choose Israel? Why did God choose the Jewish people as his people? I mean, and now you look now, we look now at Genesis chapter 37 and the dark behavior of the brothers who make up Israel with all their treachery and this brother-murdering spirit and this hard-heartedness that we're looking at here. And as you're thinking of that and you're listening to what God said in Deuteronomy 7, for thou art a holy people unto the Lord thy God, you go, huh? A holy people unto the Lord thy God? I mean, there are people that shock the Ishmaelites. And the Lord has chosen you to be a special people unto himself above all people. And then you read the Lord set his love on them. And you think of this chapter, you think of the statements like God, and you see how horribly the Jewish people of Israel are acting in this chapter. Why did God choose the Jewish people for his own special people? Why did he set his love on them? Crystal clear. Now, from, Gen- from Deuteronomy 7, crystal clear. It's because he loved them. It's because he loved them. Yeah. God did not choose the Jewish people. He said, I didn't choose you because you were more in number, because, in fact, you were the fewest of all people. And we can see from this dark chapter in Genesis 37 here that God did not choose the Jewish people because they were morally superior to all the people. I mean, I'm sure the Ishmaelites were thinking to themselves, brothers who sell a brother into slavery. We've never seen people like that stoop to such a low level. What kind of people is this? This chapter makes it so clear. God did not choose the Jewish people because they were morally or ethically better than the other people. Because in this chapter, they're not. And they're stooping to the lowest. But God said, if you want to know why God chose the Jewish people, don't look at the Jewish people. Look to God. You want to know why God chose Israel? Don't look to Israel. Look to the God of Israel. God chose the Jewish people because God decided to love the Jewish people. That's the only reason. Oh, the love of God, how deep and pure. And so God chose to not reject the Jewish people for all their sins and all their rebellions against God simply because he made a promise. He made a promise to Abraham, to Isaac, to Jacob. And Romans 11 deals with this issue right off the bat in that chapter 11 with the question of whether God is going to cast away his people. And so the answer, when you look at chapter 37 here, the reason God has not cast away his people is because for God to cast away his people would mean that God would have to cast away himself. And recently a believer came to me and he said that he struggles. He's struggling inside with the feelings of unworthiness. He can't see how God can love him because he feels so unworthy. Well, this chapter is the right medicine for that, chapter 37, because this is the answer to the question. This is the answer to the question for anyone who feels unworthy to be loved by God. See, if the Jewish people, the brothers of Joseph, if they said, you know, we feel so unworthy to be chosen by God and to be loved by God, well, guess what? They are. (laughs) They are unworthy. But God chose them, and he loved them because God decided to choose them and love them, and not because of their worthiness. And if a believer feels unworthy of the love of God, well, guess what? He is. Every believer is unworthy, but God's chosen. God's decided, and not because of any worthiness. Okay, now, if that's the only lesson 
that we take away from chapter 37 here, then chapter 37 will deliver its greatest lesson to us by seeing that. Now, God is so purposeful in wanting to deliver this message to us in chapter 30, 27, 30, 20, 37, where we are. It's just remarkable when you look at this, this chapter, you read this thing, it's like reading a report. Have you, did you, have you been struck at all? Have you been reading this chapter? There's no criticism. There's no criticism given of what the brothers did to him. And this lack of criticism is beautifully effective. I mean, when we read this chapter, there's no commentary. There's no comment on what Joseph's brothers did to him. And the lack of comment on what they did is beautifully effective. It's just a record. It's just like reading a record of what happened, like you're reading a report, you know, like a police report. Oh, this happened, this happened, this happened. And it's all left to us to put in the comments, all left to us to put in criticisms on what Joseph's brothers did to him. But the simple record that's given here, it's beautifully effective. And it's left for us to see that this chapter is really like a perfect mirror. It's a perfect mirror. It shows the utter depravity of man. It shows our utter depravity. And so when the brothers sit down here, especially, this comes out strongly, when the brothers sit down to eat, and you can see this, you feel this sense, you know, they sit down to eat, and it's, you get this real sense of, okay, we solved that problem, didn't we, boys? Perfectly, you know, and what they had done. I mean, when they sat down to eat, with Joseph screaming from that pit, asking for mercy, for begging for his life, and they're sitting down to eat, it shows us that they really felt successful in this. You know, they had successfully devised their plan to get rid of Joseph, and then they had successfully executed their plan to get rid of Joseph, and then they had successfully hid Joseph when they got rid of Joseph. And then they had successfully, that was externally, but what successfully what they've done here, you see that when they sit down to eat, they had successfully silenced the voice of their own consciences. And they felt good. They actually felt good over how successful, how successful they got rid of Joseph. And they're eating here. It's like a celebration, a celebration for their complete success in getting rid of Joseph. You know, it's a real, that takes care of the Joseph problem. Oh, boy, now let's eat. And it was just only one problem, just one little minor problem, and that was God saw. That was the problem. God saw what they did to get rid of Joseph. And after getting rid of Joseph the way they did, how could the brothers sit down to eat? There's only one way that they could feel so comfortable after what they did to be able to sit down and eat, and that was because... They were not living as though God was watching them. They were living as though no one was watching them. Now, that's a great example here, these brothers, of what it means to not have the fear of the Lord. To have the fear of the Lord is to live as though God is watching. That's what it means. And they didn't have this fear of the Lord because they're able to sit down to the celebration feast over how they got rid of Joseph. And this is very important for us because you and I are ever in a danger of falling by losing the fear of the Lord, by trying to get away with something and feeling as though, you know, God's not watching. 
That's what happened to King David. I mean, King David saw another man's wife bathing. He lusted after her. And then King David wanted that other man's wife. And King David sent for that woman and had his lustful way with her. And then she became pregnant, which was a problem for King David. But the bigger problem was that she had a husband that was in the way. So what did he do? King David successfully devised a plan to get rid of her husband so he could marry her. King David successfully executed his plan to get rid of her husband and married her. And then King David successfully silenced the voice of his own conscience when he got rid of her husband. And he finally got the prize in 2 Samuel eleven twenty six. 2 Samuel eleven twenty six. this is the king. It says, when the wife of Uriah heard that Uriah, her husband, was dead, she mourned for her husband. And when the mourning was passed, David sent and fetched her to his house, and she became his wife and bare him a son. I mean, it all went perfectly according to plan. I mean, she completed the mourning for her husband. Okay, he had to wait for that. Then he takes her to become his wife. She gives birth to David's child. Perfect. Everything's perfect. He felt good over how successfully he got rid of Bathsheba's husband so he could have Bathsheba's wife. Again, the King David, this is a real, well, I take care of the husband problem. Now life will be better now that I've got this beautiful Bathsheba for my wife. Only just one problem. Just one little problem. And it's the last sentence of what I didn't read you in 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. 2 Samuel eleven twenty seven. you know, it goes on. Again, you know, the part where it says, you know, the wife of Uriah's husband, you know, she mourned for her husband, and the morning was past. David sent venture to a house. She became his wife, bare his son. The last part goes like this. But the thing that David had done displeased the Lord. See, there was just one problem. God was watching. God was watching what David did. And the problem is that King David fell away from having the fear of the Lord when he did all that. And if King David, I mean, we're talking about the great King David, if he could abandon the fear of the Lord, watch out each one of us. Watch out each one of us. We live in constant danger of losing the fear of the Lord. We live in constant danger of losing the knowledge that we're being watched by God. You know, it's very important to keep this in mind. We're being watched by God. I remember when a missionary to Africa came years ago, spoke here at the chapel, and and he said that he had uh, hired some African workers to build a a long fence for him in Africa. You know, and it's all, I mean, I know from experience, you know, African workers, you know, Work building anyway, but and he supervised their work, but then he had to leave for a couple of days, and so he wasn't able to supervise their work while he was gone. And when he returned, what do you think? He found that you know there was very little progress made on the fence. So you know, as long as he's watching them, then the fence go. The, the African workers are working hard; they're making the fence go along. But when we stop watching them, then they stop working. And he told them, look, you need to work hard when I'm not here. And they all agreed. Oh, yes, sir, yes, sir. And so then again, he leaves for a couple days, and the same thing happened. They slacked off because they weren't being watched. So the missionary was really frustrated over this, and it came, he had to leave again. And he wanted them to feel as though they were being watched, so he had an idea. And the missionary was blind in one eye, and he had a glass eye. 
And so he gathered all his African workers around him, building a fence, and he told them that, look, I'm going to leave again for a couple of days, and I want you to know that I'm going to be watching you while I'm gone. And then he walked over to a fence post that was there, and he took out his glass eye. (laughs) And he put it on the top of the fence post. And he told them, my eye is going to be watching you while I'm gone. <laughs> and you know what? Those African workers worked hard. <laughs> they slacked off because they thought they were watching them, you know. Well, you know what? Way to feel like those African workers. We can't see the Lord, but we need to feel that his eye is watching us. That's what the fear of the Lord is. That's what the fear of the Lord means. It means to feel Fear of the Lord means to feel as though we're being watched by God. Okay, now, in our last study, we saw how Joseph was cast into this deep, steep-walled, mire-filled, totally dark pit, the cistern. And, and we talked about how Joseph screamed for help. We learned that later on in Genesis. And no one came to help. And now we want to consider just a little bit more of this, of Joseph's terror and what was going on inside of Joseph in the pit? I mean, if you were Joseph, I mean, what would you think? I mean, if you were Joseph, what would you think when you realized, I've been thrown into a pit to die of starvation, to die of thirst, and there's no chance that any of my brothers are going to change their mind and pull me out of this? I mean, what a shock for a young, ambitious, happy young man you know, who had faced some troubles in his life but nothing, nothing prepared him for this. So what, 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 what's he to think now? I mean, and then after the initial shock, okay, there's the initial shock, there's the terror, there's the cries for help, and now he's resolved to understand, I'm going to die in this pit. So, you know, it's interesting. We can f- think about what Joseph might have been thinking about in that state. And we can think of him maybe thinking about his grandfather, his grandfather Isaac. And Isaac telling him that, you know, I want to tell you, you know, what it was like for me to lose Jacob, who left, though I'd never see him again. Esau, who rejected God and for all intents and purposes left me. I mean, he must have told Joseph that, you know, when I lost my two sons like that, it's kind of like dying. And, and how he found, you know what I think? He probably told him, I think that a man has to die before he can live. And in Galatians 2.20, Paul says, I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But not I. Christ lives in me. The life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Or in Romans 6, 4, when Paul said, Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, so we also should walk in newness of life. I mean, he must have thought of those times when his father Jacob told him how on that memorable night, you know, Genesis 32, when he thought he was going to die. He thought he was going to die at the hands of Esau. But then he saw God face to face. And what he said, we can be sure that that he told Joseph this. But what he said, he, he said, he said to him, son, let me tell you, Genesis 32, 30. Jacob... I called the name of this place where all this happened, Peniel. Jacob called the name of the place Peniel. For I have seen God face to face and my life is preserved. So he says to Joseph, Joseph, 
I saw God face to face there, and my life was preserved. I mean, he must have thought about when his father said, my life was preserved. And we can imagine a calmness coming to Joseph as he realized there's some great word in here. It's the word between, the between. You know, between me, Joseph, and these impenetrable walls, there's the everlasting arms of God. You know, between me, Joseph, and this darkness of this cave, there's the light of God beaming on me. And between me, Joseph, and my fears for what's going to happen to me, there's this knowledge that nothing can happen to me that's not in God's will. Okay, now, there he is. And now we saw in our last study that that's what's going on under the ground where he is, and above the ground they're eating. In verse 25, they sat down to eat bread. It's an amazing scene of the brothers acting like heartless beasts. And even beasts don't turn on their own. To be able to eat with the cries of Joseph in their ears. But no doubt, Joseph, when he came, was carrying uh, gifts from their father, like food gifts, like we see later on. Jacob sends down gifts to uh, Prime Minister of Egypt. And so it's just shocking for us to think that in all likelihood here, they're eating those those food gifts that the father had sent by the hand of Joseph. I mean, that's kind of a shocking thought. (laughs) I mean, just think of how many today hate God and yet what God does for them, as he said, the Lord Jesus said in Matthew 5.45, Matthew 5.45, he maketh his son to rise on the evil and on the good and sendeth rain on the just and on the unjust. So even though men hate God, he still sends them the gift of the son. I mean, even though they hate God, he still sends them the gift of the rain. It's like the scene of having hated Joseph so much, and really Jacob, because he was a favorite son. They cast Joseph into the pit to die, and then they take the food gifts, and they, they, brought, and they eat them. You know, it's a perfect picture of Psalm 145.9. Psalm 145.9. The Lord is good to all, and his tender mercies are over all his works. Okay, but this scene... This scene is really important for us. It's a very important scene in the Bible. It's referred to. This scene of the brothers having cast Joseph into the pit to die and sitting down to eat and not responding at all to Joseph's state there. It's a very important scene, and God wants us to, be, to take careful notice of this scene. As a matter of fact, this scene is what God uses to bring a special warning in Amos in Amos chapter 6, calls back this scene. When it says in Amos 6.1, Amos 6.1, Woe to them that are at ease in Zion and trust in the mountain of Samaria, which are named chief of the nations to whom the, uh, the house of Israel came. And then in verse 6, Amos 6.6, that drink wine in bowls and anoint themselves with the chief ointments, now get this, and they are not grieved for the affliction of Joseph.
another wonderful day studying the Bible with our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, here on Friendship with God. Don't forget that today's message and previous messages can be listened and downloaded for free at friendshipwithgod.org, friendshipwithgod.org. You can also go online to find free resources from Tom Cantor and our online bookstore at friendshipwithgod.org. You can also find Tom Cantor on Facebook, and you can also go to friendshipwithgod.org to sign up for his daily devotional verse. Now, Tom Cantor is also the founder of Israel Restoration Ministries. You can visit that website at israelrestoration.org. Or you can write Tom Cantor at P.O. Box 711-330, P.O. Box 711-330, Santee, California. That's S-A-N-T-E-E, Santee, California, 92071. Or you can email Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Org. Tom Cantor at friendshipwithgod.org. Or for more information about Tom Cantor and Friendship with God and Israel Restoration Ministries, call us at 800 247 3051. Sunday Night Church is back. Join Friendship with God Bible teacher Tom Cantor at the new Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5 30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum in Santee, California. Join us early each Sunday at 4.30 p.m. for food and fellowship with Sunday evening services to follow at 5.30 p.m. Watch Tom Cantor and the service on YouTube Live, located on the Friendship with God website. Enjoy encouraging teaching from our Bible teacher, Tom Cantor, in a relaxed and family-friendly atmosphere. Sunday Night Church is back, so join us at the Friendship with God Fellowship every Sunday night at 5.30 p.m. at the Creation and Earth History Museum at 10946 Woodside Avenue North in Santee, California. For more information, call us at 800-247-3051, 1-800-247-3051, or visit friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org for the Friendship with God Fellowship.